a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Alpine Stars Protects on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out and donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Thanks for checking out the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Of course, I'm Steve Mathis. Uh, great show today. Um, Adam Wheeler from On Track Off Road, the premier journalist in the sport over in Europe. And of course, uh, Wacko Zacko uh, are both going to join us, uh, join me to talk about the MXGP series so far. We'll touch on Red Bud Disnations and many other things. But first up, flyracing.com. Please check them out on the web. Blake Baggett, Weston Pike, Seven Deuce Deuce, and Osborne himself, among others that rock uh, fly racing gear all the time. Uh, flyracing.com. Please check them out on the web. They make much more than moto gear, too. If you're into mountain bikes, they've got you covered. Sweet helmet. I need to start wearing mine more often, but I love it. And also, too, thanks to the folks at Maxxis. The MXST tire coming out real soon. Actually, Mammoth will be the launch, and Jeremy McGrath's involved with this tire, and uh, we'll have Jeremy on soon enough to talk about that tire and more. MXST tire, whether it's your mountain bike, your truck, your trailer, your dirt bike, Maxxis tires has you covered, lets you hook up and grab the whole shot. Also, to Alpine Stars, we thank those guys as well. Eli Tomac running the Alpine Star gear, of course, and rocking it out there. Uh, the Alpine Star protection line, though, is really what they want to focus on, whether it's the bionic neck support system, the Tech 10 boot, which is the benchmark boot, in moto or the tech seven which is my boot of choice or the uh the chest protector that they make that you can run over top or underneath that a lot of riders wear alpine stars protects please check them out on the web as well for anything you need and you know the name alpine stars right of course you do all right so thanks for listening appreciate it here's wheeler and osborne and now as promised from on track off-road the best journalist in the sport adam wheeler what's up adam how are you man Hey Steve, good to hear from you. Sorry, it's taken a while. Oh, we for the listeners who are who are uh, are on the line, we have really tried to get this done for about three weeks. Yeah, it's it's, it's totally my fault. Um, you know, just uh, too many races, yeah, uh, too many child children thing going on, and it's uh, you know. Any parent will tell you it's pretty busy. If you haven't got a house full of basset hounds, then you know life can, <laughs> life can get pretty frantic. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, man. Um, it seems like, are you going to a little bit less MXGPs than you have in the past? Yeah, I'm doing a few more MotoGP uh, yeah. races as well. I mm-hmm. uh, checked in one superbike, managed to get to A2, so just mixing things up as well. And it's good yep. just to find, you know, different stories, different different yeah. places, different faces. So I, uh, it's cool. But, um, I am not interested yeah. at all in, in MotoGP at all, and it, it gets people upset over here. But I just, I've never been into road racing, Adam. I just can't get into it. Yeah, but you know what? The thing is, they love motocross. 
if, I, if you want to, if you head, head into that paddock, you know, I mean, you might be a celebrity, Steve. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they really follow, like, the Supercross scene and MXGP. It seems like it, I mean, yeah. a couple of... A couple of interviews I've done with Andrea De Vizioso, who's a factory Ducati rider and was fighting for the championship last year. You know, we sit down. He says, "Right, ask me the important questions first. And he, he wants to talk MXGP, so it's kind uh, of it's kind of funny. Yeah, that is that is that's good to know. I like that. Um, how much different is it following the two series? Like I, I've talked to you a little bit about this before at different races, and it, it's a lot more structured in MXGP uh, for the media, I guess. A lot more, um, um, yeah, I guess a lot more structured, right? Yeah, I mean, in MotoGP, there is a, there's a lot more hoops to jump through to get stuff done, which, you know, can be good because, you know, you're going to have access to certain guys at certain times as mm-hmm. a media guy. Um, but then, you know, the, the accessibility you get in, in motocross, as we know, it's just a much more earthy sport, and, it's you know, the, the, the possibilities are, you know, much bigger for, mm-hmm. for getting stories and finding out some cool things and presenting a cool side of the sport, especially when it comes to video. Um, yep. I mean, sort of, you know, if you if you try to show some video from MotoGP, you know you're going to get slung out, you know, quicker than you can sort of throw your path at someone. So <laughs> it's um yeah it's it's just very very different. But um yep. you know I mean MXGP has a special kind of vibe about it. You know any kind of motocross paddock does. So it's uh, yep. especially for a media guy. Yeah, it's very we're very lucky that I can text Eli Tomac or or Marvin or or, or we're going to have Zach Osborne on here. Um, it's, we're very lucky in that sense in the moto side. We can these guys are accessible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that's that's a little bit you know that happens also in in road racing. Um, but you know it's uh, they tend to ignore you a lot more. I don't know how you how often you get ignored, Steve. But uh, you know some, sometimes you get ignored, I get ignored by MXGP guys, but not, <laughs> not that often. But uh, yeah. yeah, I did uh, I did text Blake Baggett the other day for something and just no reply, just nothing from Blake. Just so so it happens. Uh, have you said something about him? No, no, I don't he think got, so. He hasn't no. got a beef. No, I think we're good. No, no beef, no beef with Blake. No, I don't think so. Not that I know of. Half of these, half of these guys, things change as the wind shifts, as you know. But, um, but so if you wanted to get, you know, Marquez or Rossi or one of the one of the best guys for something you're working on, can you do it? Yeah, Rossi is probably the the guy who's most untouchable, simply because he he doesn't need to do any of it. Right, right. I mean, you know, he he, he has like debrief times, and he'll talk to the press and take five or six questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he doesn't need to do interviews. I mean, why? I mean, everybody kind of knows who he is and and who he represents, and yep. he doesn't need to promote anything or push anything. So that's kind of unusual. Um, you know, some of the guys like talking to the press. I mean, someone like Cal Crutch is pretty talkative. Yep. Uh, World Superbike champion Jonathan Ray is really cool. Another mm-hmm. another big motocross fan. Um, so it's uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real mixed bag. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, well, we're what we're doing in this podcast is uh, sort of recapping the MXGP series. Uh, we're just over halfway in that thing, and uh, I wanted to give our listeners a little bit of some somebody who's been to a lot of a lot of these races and what's going on and what's happening and. Let's start with MXGP, Adam. Uh, first up, by the way, uh, OTOR.com. Go there. On Track, Off Road, digital magazine. I write for it. It's fantastic. How is that going, Adam? Is it is it uh, is it working well for you? Yeah, pretty good. We switched to a monthly format um, after being bi-weekly for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was partly also to try and do some slightly different stuff, some more in-depth features that gives me more time and, and some of the contributors to do it. Uh, 
it's going okay. I mean, the, the reads are keeping up there. Um, you know, I think I might have mentioned it last time I was on the show, but the future for kind of digital publications, I do wonder where it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the mag was started in 2011, so it's, um, you know, you do you do think, well, you know, is, it, is there still really an audience for that kind of format? So they're, they're kind of questions that are popping up. Um, you know, we'll have to see where it leads over the next 12 months, but no, it's going okay. Yeah. Good, good to hear. Um, all right, MXGP, well, Look, we saw a fantastic season last year between Jeffrey Hurlings and Antonio Caroli. Uh, Hurlings started slow. Antonio was great. He ended up taking home another world title. And you did feel like the tides were shifting um, and Hurlings was going to take this thing home. And But I have to say, Adam, I'm a bit shocked at the, the, the leads that Antonio has held and the 84 has tracked him down. Like, the 84 has made some mistakes, which has been – his tendency throughout his career, he, he'll he make a mistake now and then, and that's happened, but he has just been so good, so on point, that I am very surprised at some of these late race passes that uh, that Jeffrey has managed to pull off on, on you know, a legend that is Antonio Caroli. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're, we're halfway through. I mean, it's we just had round 10 or 20, mm-hmm. um, and right from the very first race of the year in Argentina, I mean, okay, the soil was a little bit sandy, which is like, you know, yeah. Jeffrey's forte, but then Tony Cairoli's no slouch in the sand either. And the way that he managed to sort of peg back Cairoli, pass him in the last couple of laps to win that Grand Prix was a pretty big message. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as Hurlings likes to remind people, you know, anything can happen in, in any second in motocross, but there was kind of a, a little bit of a feeling that that was kind of the, the swing of the pendulum. You know, that was yep. kind of like... Uh, I don't know how you the scepter being passed, if you like. Um, you know, I think Tony was humbled also at his home. I mean, you remember 12 months ago, he made that fantastic comeback in Arco de Trento for his home GP. He yeah. was down yep. on the first corner, was last, you know, managed to find one of the very few places in, on the track to overtake people and, and won the GP overall. Um, this year, he was humbled by, by Hurlings, you know, who, on, on his, at his home round. Mm-hmm. So that was another pretty, pretty big smack in the face. Um, you know, and there's been, I think, you know, last, last weekend, you know, just a couple of days ago in France, uh, Jeffrey ate another eight second yeah. advantage down to, to the world champion who, by, you know, is, is a class act. Um, I think the, the biggest narrative, Steve, is that we, we're seeing Tony Cairoli, a nine times world champion. The guy knows how to put together a, a title campaign over sort of 18, 19, 20 races. But then he's never had a rival like this strong. I mean, I don't think he's really had to consider how to defeat somebody like this. Yeah. I think it was in 2010, um, Clement de Salle was riding a factory Suzuki. He won like three of the first five rounds. Mm-hmm. So that was a bit like, you know, okay, is something going to happen here? Because Tony had just won his first uh, world title the year before. Um, but then since then, there's never he's never really had such a strong title threat. In 2015, he broke his arm and that sort of, you know, allowed Roman Febre to step up to the plate. 2016, he was dealing with nerve damage in his shoulder from a preseason crash. So when Cairoli's been been fit, he's been firing. So this is the kind of first time where he's fit. There's no real excuses. That yeah. KTM 450, you know, is, is you know as as you've seen in the US as well, is probably the bike to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think he's he's trying to work out how best to to tackle this threat, which is coming only a few meters away from him in the awning. It seems like in reading some of the post-race comments, Tony is just, there's a sense of resignation with him. And, I mean, he says, you know, anything can happen. It's still a long series. And it almost seems like in a few times I've read, Tony is saying, hey, look, Jeffrey can hurt himself riding an 80. 
in the middle of the week or something which happened before. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, I have to just be there every weekend. I have to just be there every weekend. And it seems like Tony's not saying, like, I can win. He's saying, I got to just be there every weekend. It's a long series. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, he, all he can do is take podium results. Yep. And then as the season goes on over the next five to six rounds, that pressure is going to creep up on Hurling. Um, you know, because he's going to get closer mm-hmm. to the goal. He's already got a 60-point lead, so that's a full Grand Prix with 10 left to run. Um, so that, I think that's his only hope because, yeah. you know, he's, he's, had, he's had race-winning margins. And oh, absolutely. Them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then, you know, even like in races where he hasn't had a great start, he's come through but then just not been able to catch Jeffrey. So, yep. you know, he's, he's, he's a little bit at a loss, and I think he knows he just has to try and weather, weather this storm because, um, you know, like anything could happen. Yeah. But ominously, there's, there's 10 rounds to go, and three of those are in sand. Yeah. Um, so yeah. You, you kind of think that Hurlings is going to be banking 50 points in those three rounds. A couple of years ago, so, Jeffrey Hurlings does not win on a track like France. He just doesn't. Um, I don't know. Actually, you know, Paul Malin, um, who's like the TV commentator yep. on HGB, he had a, he had a list of the wins, and Hurlings that was his fourth win at St. John's, really? which is the oh, most wow. kind of okay. yeah, the archetypal <laughs> old school, yeah. hard pack, stony track you can get. Yeah. I mean, he he was in his own league in MX2 on a 250, um, but you know, yeah. it's um, uh, the guy. The, the guy just doesn't have doesn't really have like a chink in his armor. No, he is he is a total package. I guess the the silver lining for Antonio. Uh, is that they are outside of the the Russian race where DeSalle won the MX Panda struck? Um, they are much better than uh, the rest of the field. Uh, at least it seems that way. Yeah, in the early rounds, I mean, they were the guys were even saying in the press conference, you know, Tony was making not digs, but he was kind of saying, you know, where is everybody else? You know, what, why is it yeah. just us two? <laughs> right, um, right. You know, I feel sorry. I think the rider who's probably closest to really doing that this year is Tim Geiger. So it's a bit of a shame that he was hurt, you know, in mm-hmm. preseason and, and has since been playing catch-up. Um, but, you know, that Honda can't match the starts of the KTM so far. Um, and, you know, riders like uh, Roman Febra, he was riding last weekend with, uh, you know, damaged ankle ligaments. He's had a couple of setbacks. Clermont de Salle's been the closest in mm-hmm. terms of consistency. Um, and he rode really well on Sunday after a very poor Saturday. Uh, so it's uh, it just, those guys just can't match the level of, of the you know the KTM's at the moment. No, and actually, it's a bit surprising that they're that far back to me. I mean, look, Geyser, like you said, he's coming back from injury. It's been a rough couple of years. Faber as well. I, I just when those guys won their world titles in back to back years, I mean, they were amazing, and we saw it at those nations. And I, I don't know if they're I, have they been hurt too much, Adam, to get back to you know, Antonio's level or, or even Hurling's level? I mean, do you think it's over for well, it was, that, that window? No, it's, it was kind of interesting because at the time in, when February was winning in 2015 and then the same sort of situation happened with Geyser in mm-hmm. 2016, there were some riders and people in the paddock saying, there's no way these guys are going to keep going that speed. They're going <laughs> to crash. They're going to hurt themselves. Yeah. And it, it didn't happen. Um, in their title campaigns, yep. and it happened the year after. Yep. I mean, in, in February's case, he was fighting for a 2006 title, concussed himself at uh, Madeley Basin, and wasn't really the same. I mean, he came back and won the Nations, but you know, since then, he's just been... And 2017 was a write-off because he went the wrong way with the Yamaha setup. And it took them half a season to fix it. Mm-hmm. But then when he comes to Geyser, I mean, he crashed pretty much straight after he won the championship. Yeah. Mean, he hurt himself uh, before the Nations, he didn't ride there, and then he, he hurt himself at the SMX one-off strange cup in you know yep. supercross hybrid thing yep. 
um, and that that was it. I mean, last year he cracked when he crashed, he hurt himself. So that kind of those sort of warnings and moments he got away with in his, his in 2016 bit him last year. Yeah, I mean, when I I went to Italy in 16 to watch him, uh, seen him at this nations. I, I mean, I was blown away by Tim Geyser. I'm just like this kid is the future. You know, he looked so good, so amazing, and now here we are. And like you just crashes and injuries and. He's all he's well off the pace of the top two guys, you know, and it's it's a shame. And, and same with Fabra. And the series would be better off if they can pull it together. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, um, guys is only twenty one as yeah. well, so True. you know, it's, he's he's got a lot of lot of time on his side. Um, but I mean, Herlings is twenty three. I think Fabra is twenty five. Mm-hmm. So you know, they're still still young guys. But, um, you know, again, like when Geiger was winning, I remember interviewing Clement de Sau and he was like, you know, these guys are pushing really, really, really hard. But you, know, you can almost sense that he was saying, you know, that's not really the way to keep in a championship chase. Right, right. So it's, uh, you know, um, but then Hurlings is also pushing the next level, then you're in, you're in trouble. Yeah. Getting back to Hurlings, is it just me or does he seem to be a bit matured this year, a bit... Uh... I don't want to say humble. Maybe humble is the right word. Uh, I've never been a fan of some of the things Jeffrey has said and done off the track, and not all of it public knowledge. Some things that you know you just hear through the different teams yeah. and riders. I've never been a huge <clears throat> fan, but I mean, look, we all do dumb things when we're kids, and, and we all have. And so, do you see a different personality, a different Jeffrey Hurlings off the track? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we do have to remember that. I'm sure we've spoken about this before. You're talking about an individual that was hyped. You know, from, mm-hmm. from the moment he was going to be the next great big thing in Dutch motocross, and then he was going to be the next big thing in KTM, then the next big thing in Grand Prix full stop. So, you know, and he kind of grew up. I mean, it's Grand Prix debut at 15 years old, like Ken Roxon. I mean, these guys have grown up, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the public spotlight. Um, I, I think Jeffrey, Jeffrey's quite a private person. I mean, he's not really on social media that much. He'll make a couple of Instagram posts. Um, but the guy, one reason I've been asking around, you know, why is he so much stronger than everybody else? And that's because he has absolute commitment to what he's doing. I mean, I don't think his life is much more than riding, training, and racing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, that's really what's making the difference. I think there's a maturity there, you know, with the way he's going about it. I don't think he's had a tough day yet. So we'll have to see what happens when he does fall down twice in a race. Uh, does he panic? Um, how does he handle that? How is he going to handle maybe Tony Cairoli taking a couple of motos away from him? Uh, um, that's when we'll see that the character come out, you know? I mean, but, um, at the moment, yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's, he's doing everything right. Adam, I think he can fall twice and still win. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. He's unbelievable. Um, now, uh, of course, there's always been tension between Antonio and Jeffrey, and they ride for KTM, but they ride, they pit out of two different teams. We saw them come together at Matterly. Um, I was surprised Antonio Antonio took the high road a lot. Like I, I didn't like the move. It wasn't it wasn't the dirtiest thing I've ever seen, certainly, but I didn't I didn't think it was amazing um, either. Uh, how's that relationship been, from what you gather? I think, I mean, it's mentioned, you mentioned there about being in one team, and, and they are very much. And like Pip Byra, you know, the KTM Motorsport director, will say that that is Red Bull KTM, it's one team. But, of course, you have two factions within that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claudio Zagali, who's mentored Tony, to Tony all of his career since 2004, um, is very much like the steward of that area of Red Bull KTM. And now he's working to good effect with uh, Jorge Prado and MX2. 
Um, so you have very much like an Italian kind of camp within the team, and then Jeffrey has his core guys, mm-hmm. you know, um, his, his practice mechanic, Ruben, Dirk Rubel, that team manager. But, you know, the relationship has been surprisingly cordial. I mean, I think these guys really do respect each other. Okay. I remember being in the, the KTM hospitality one time, and, and, you know, Jeffrey was there sitting, having a plate of food, and Tony, out of the whole place, and all the chairs he had to pick, just went and picked, you know, some food and sat sort of down next to him to eat. And you kind of think, well, if there's two guys that can't yeah. stand each other, then that's yeah, not yeah. really going to happen. Yep. In Madeley Basin, that's that's a weird one. I mean, I, I mean, some of the Italian journalists say that, you know, Jeffrey deliberately took him out, which I don't really believe. I mean, I think Jeffrey can be quite close with his moves and likes to send a message sometimes when he's on the track. But, um, you know, trying to take somebody out, I think a guy who's broken his femur, had an infection, uh, dislocated his hip, um, mangled his collarbone three times, you know, mm-hmm. he's had too many kind of hard knocks really to, to, to do that. He's always harping on about how he wants to do it clean. Um, I think Tony, you know, probably took that, the right way or the wrong way, you know, mm-hmm. he was the one that was sent to the ground. Yeah. But um, at the moment, you know, they shook hands after the race. I saw that. Days ago yeah. In front. Yeah. 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 So I think, I think they're keeping it on a level, level keel. When, uh, when Adam, do we see the Goche Paul in I'm unstoppable. No one can beat me race this year. Or, or is, is it finally over? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. I do. I mean, I haven't spoken that much to God yet, but it's, um, you know, Antti Perone and the team manager over there, Husqvarna, runs a very regimented ship. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's working very much from, well from Max Anstey this year, who like obliterated the nation. Well, that was my next question. Um, yeah, what the hell has happened to Max Anstey? Max Anstey had a pretty gnarly get-off in warm-up for Spain, which I think was round four or round three. three. Um, yeah. And it took him a while to get over that. I think he's just having a bit of a crisis of confidence. Um, you know, there are rumors that, uh, you know, Arminas Jessicona, the big Lithuanian, yep. uh, who was a factory Suzuki rider last year, is now running for a Honda team. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually going to slide in and, and take that Husqvarna saddle. That was the talk last weekend. So Max, you know, would, could potentially be out of a ride. So maybe, maybe that's a factor inside it as well. But it's, it's, um, it's a bit of a weird story. Uh, you know, he was told, talking last year about how that, regimented setup and the support structure and it's like um, Husqvarna was everything that he needed but yeah. then you know it seems this year that it's maybe too much it's a little overbearing plus the fact everybody is saying hey where's the Anthony from the nation I mean yeah I mean I, listen he doesn't the, the this nation's thing was a one-off amazing ride but he he's much better than what he's been showing you know he I don't think he's yeah. gonna go out and, and win everything but it's unbelievable how how poor he's been riding and I I, I guess that just con- continues the mystery of Max Anstey over the years, right? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's just the the inconsistency is is really in danger of marking his career. I mean, some amazing highs, but then just you know bizarre results buried in the top twenty. Yep. But I don't think I've seen him get a decent start so far this year. I mean, I, I can't really recollect one. So I think that's you know that explains everything right there. Yeah. You can't give the KTM's a head start, and that's that, that's even been Paul Ann's problem. But, you know, I mean, Paul Ann, what does he do? I mean, I think he's he's been a factory Kawasaki rider. He's been a factory Honda rider. He's been mm-hmm. a factory Yamaha rider. KTM of all next year. You know, he he doesn't really have anywhere else to go. So I think, you know, does he is he going to stay in Husqvarna and try and make it work? Uh, you know, there, there's got to be a race here coming up where he just, everything lines up and he wins. I yeah, don't probably know. in the yeah. nation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably right, right. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, three veteran guys, good guys, having tough times. I don't like to see it, Adam. Uh, Sean Simpson, uh, Boberchef, Russian Bobby, and uh, Strybos. Uh, new teams for a couple of those guys. Privateer teams, not what they're used to. And Sean's been hurt. 
Uh, tough, tough year for those three vets. Yeah, uh, yeah, Sean. I'm trying to think now because it's been it's been a catalogue of injury. Really, yeah. he he got off in in practice in Russia. I think he cracked a couple of ribs and also chipped uh, his hip. So he's been trying to come back from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, you, he's just edging his way back into the top ten. But Sean, as we know, is a, is a sensational sand rider. So he could suddenly pop up next week in Italy in Ottaviano. Um, Evgeny Babrushev, you know, was was kind of a victim of that late HRC move to kind of downsize the team a little bit last year. Um, you know, one story with Honda is, you know, the, the catalogue of injury oh, is, is yeah. incredible. Even over I mean, here, right? US, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. In the U.S. is one thing. I mean, with, with Sealy and Roxham, but, you know, over here, Brian Boger's, like, smashed his foot to smithereens and, you know, tried to come back from it, broke it all again. Um, so, he, you know, he'll be lucky to even get back on a bike before the end of the season for mm-hmm. it. So he has, still hasn't made his debut in, in Honda Colors. Yep. Todd Waters, the, the Australian rider who used to be an MHGP, came back and, and broke his collarbone. You know, in the Grand Prix of Latvia during practice. So it's, you know, it's like, who would go anywhere near red at the moment? Yeah. That kind of thing hanging over them. And even Christian Craig to fill in. Now he's out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For Sealy. Yeah, but Bob Rusheff was kind of the victim of that sort of, you know, late team shift. And and now he's kind of on a team, you know, riding what what is the weirdest looking dirt bike you've ever seen (laughs) at high level racing. I mean, he has half of it like in a Suzuki yellow, half of it in a white. Yeah. It's got like BOS Bossa suspension, which is a new sort of French company trying to get their technology out on the market. And so he's kind of testing and racing at the same time. And, you know, I was speaking to him at the weekend. He said, look, he's got a stock Suzuki engine. He's got a couple of bits on there, but nothing special. So he's just sort of saying he's lacking power. Yeah. Um, you know, so he's he's yeah. trying to fight back. And Kevin, Kevin Strybos, you know, I think it's two or three times he's been a runner-up in the World Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, could could possibly be his last season. Uh, injured again coming into the season, but, uh, you know, riding the KTM. Yeah. Um, Kevin's always there or thereabouts. But, you know, again, just the level of MXGP, uh, trying to even get in the top 10 at the moment is, is a major ask. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. I, was, I said this on uh, one of my shows, or I think I may have tweeted it, and time doesn't stop for anybody, including Kevin Stribos. And the hurlings Caroli race, it really reminds me of um, R.C. and McGrath in 01. Uh, Jeremy fought the kid off in 2000, fought the kid off in 99. And in 2001, they swapped wins to start. And then as the season went on, R.C. started catching him from behind and beating him. And it was the inevitable was happening. And the that's that's what this reminds me of the the hurlings Caroli thing where the kid and the time has gone and the kid is stepping up. It's just what happens in moto, you know. Um, yeah, and that's what ha- that, that's what it's, I see. So yeah, I think it is. I mean, both riders have another two years of KTM, so mm-hmm. you know the battles. This is like a you know an Ali Frazier one yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, you know, and Tony's got that big kind of carrot of a tenth. 10th title there, which will put him, you know, up with Everts in the record books. Yep. Um, you know, he, he might say he doesn't care about records too much, whereas Jeffrey does. I mean, he's got 75 wins now, and there's, you know, like another 26 to go until he's the top, you know, beat, takes Everts' record of 101. Um, so you've got various riders with different motivation, but some of the stuff Jeffrey's been saying this year is, you know, you can sense that he's feeling the toll of, of what he's doing. Like I mentioned earlier, just that complete commitment to training and, and riding, mm-hmm. training and riding. It's, uh, you know, I don't think it's something he could do for another five years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, we see it over here too. You know, some of the guys in the Baker yeah. program, you know, um, 
Adam Wheeler on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, uh, presented by Maxis and Alpine Stars. Um, um, G- MXGP halfway look, let's call it that. Before we get to um, uh, before we get to MX2, and of course Zach Osborne is going to join us. That's your buddy Adam from way back in the day. Can you believe this kid? I mean, obviously he's out with a, sh- a shoulder injury now, but he came from Europe, Wheeler, and he won three titles. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's yeah, incredible. I mean, especially the the way he opened it all with that Vegas finale. I mean, yeah, there yeah. was a lot of in, lot, lot of interest in GPs in Europe about that, and you know, Zach made a lot of fans and a lot of friends over here just for the way he is. You know, very sincere, very humble. Mm-hmm. I mean, he won the he won the British Championship, which now has probably been not way down on his CV list. Yeah, um, yeah really right. More important, yeah, but more important than that, I think you know he was a rider that the, the fans would actually go to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's not, there's not, you can't really say that. I don't think so much in in, in modern sport these days that you know um, people will go and pay to watch a rider right. specifically because you know of the way he was and, and the way he rode a dirt bike. So, um, um, I'm glad to see that's on a bigger stage for our American listeners. Um, Tim Geyser coming to America. That talk has sort of stalled. What do you know about it, Adam? Anything new on there? N- not really. I mean, yeah. Tim kind of like got. You know, he's he's found himself a girlfriend already for two years, so mm-hmm. he's kind of a little bit more settled in Europe now. He's on a good multi-year HRC deal, but like you know, like we said, he's only 21, so I think you know he could easily turn that around and say, right, I'm off. But I was talking about the, the you know the AMA scene with Hurlings at the weekend, and he's he pretty much said to me, kind of off the record, you know, if I went to race in America, that that's only three months of racing for me. You know, what what am I going to do the rest of the time? Because yeah. you know, I don't think he would seriously consider doing Supercross. So. No. You know, if you're just going to race outdoors, then you know, for for a, you know, a pro guy who's who's used to doing preseason internationals, training, you know, eighteen, nineteen Grand Prix, um, maybe a couple of Dutch races just to you know, see the fans, you know, put a bit more cash in the pocket. Yep. Um, you know, that's that's still a pretty pretty sort of full schedule. So I don't know. It's um, will will they go or not? I mean, it will have to involve. There's even talk now that Jorge Prado, seventeen years old. Yeah, now working a lot more with Claudio Di Cali, so he's even. There's rumors that he's sort of revising I, his. I saw that. Yeah, to do Supercross. Yeah, yeah. he's. Uh, I mean, because I know that talking to Troy Lee guys and everything, they're they're expecting a kid come over. But yeah, I saw that interview. I think it was on MX Vice guys, and uh, he was saying, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm good. I'm really happy. You know, with everything. So, um, let's switch to MX2 real quickly uh, before we get Zacco on the line. It's a KTM show right now. They have uh, uh, Jonas and Prado have almost a hundred points on on third place, and it's it's just those two guys going at it. Uh, it'll be interesting. It, Jonas is consistent, it seems like, and very put together, and has a total package. <clears throat> but if Prado is feeling it that day, he can. I think he maybe has more skill than Jonas. Do you agree? And he can put it together. Yeah, I think he's got a little bit more technique. Yeah. The, the important thing as well is that, you know, that, that KTM, you know, on the 250, what those guys have done in the winter has made the difference because mm-hmm. without fail, those bikes are right at the front of the pack on each start. Yeah. Um, and Jorge Prado, I think, is probably the best starter in Grand Prix. I mean, he is uh, relentless when it comes to whole shots. I think he has something like 11 or 12 now, um, you know, from, from each Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, uh, Jonas, I mean, it's it's kind of like a combination of you know um, the impetuous, slightly inexperienced, but fastly developing kid with uh, a rider that's strong, uh, has put the work in, has the experience now, um, is already thinking about 450s. Yep. Uh, you know, Jonas set 
milestones by being the first Latvian Grand Prix winner, first Latvian, you know, world champion. champion yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, he's already eyeing MXGP and, and the next challenge. Uh, and especially with Jorge Prado developing fast and KTM, no, they can, they have a, like an MX2 banker for 2019. So it's hard to say where it will go, Steve, because the, the championship league has been narrowing. I mean, uh, Jonas won the first three Grand Prix you know, with yeah. you know, three 1-1 yeah. motos, but then, you know, cracked a little bit. Uh, it seems like when he can't get it going, then he's, he's not really in the running for victory and Prado has seized that opportunity and, and you know, posted four points. Uh, is there room for Jonas on four in MXGP next year? Doesn't seem like it, right? Well, uh, you know, if he wins the title again, then I think yeah, well, he has to move according to the rules. You know, he can't defend a title for a third time. So you know, he's oh, contracted about, to KTM. So I thought they changed that for hurlings. They went back on that rule. Yeah, they did, and then they went back again. Oh, okay. They didn't want him to stay in MX2 for another year. <laughs> oh, it's the Jeffrey Hurlings. Whatever Hurlings is doing rule, I got it. Okay. So they yeah, went, is, they he went... Winning? is he winning or is he injured? Hang on, he's injured. Okay, we'll change it back. <laughs> okay. I didn't know they went back again. Okay, so yeah, he's out of there. All right. If yeah. he wins. Um, so, okay, so then does that mean Koldenhoff's spot is uh, in jeopardy? Mm, potentially, yeah. I, mean, I can't see KTM running five factory bikes. No, but no. you know, Glenn, Glenn's actually been doing some pretty solid results. I mean, he's been he's been what he's you expect him to be, which is a solid top five, mm-hmm. top six, top seven guy. I mean, uh, I feel sorry for him sometimes because it's such a, a, a litter of trophies in that awning. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's just doing a good job of developing and being a backup guy. But uh, you know, he's been KTM. I think this is his third season. So yep. you know, whether it's a four, it's it's fifty-fifty. Uh, ben Watson has been pretty good. Uh, your countryman, Adam, uh, he's been impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it's good to see him on a factory bike. Mm-hmm. Signed for the Kamei Yamaha team. So um, and working with Jackie Vimon, then I think that's done wonders for Ben. Uh, he's like the trainer for Kimea. And uh, he put in a solid winter program, and you can see it. I mean, good technique on the bike, great Sam rider, much you know, much better physical shape. Um, I think he's he's developing his race craft, so mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a bit sort of you know. I mean, he missed one entire season in 2016 when he when he broke his foot, and I think he's still trying to play catch up a little bit on that. But he's only he recently turned 21, so you know he's he's pretty young. He's still got like two two seasons yep. left in MX2. And so he could be one for next season. And something for the American people. Hunter Lawrence um, made the jump from Suzuki to Honda. He signed a multi-year deal. He's supposed to be coming over here. Been a rough season yeah. for the Aussie kid. Yeah. Uh, it's a strange setup, you know, because, you know, he went to join a, essentially a new Honda team mm-hmm. uh, run by, you know, former women's world champion, River Lancelot. Um, you know, got hurt early on. I think it was his hand he broke. Um, I can't remember yeah. now. In round two or three. So he's he's been trying to come back from that. I don't think um, that the Hondas he, he, he's on are like obviously pretty good, but they're not. I mean, it might even be Geico bikes actually. I think you know he's brought the equipment over. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, this season is is an acclimatization. Yeah. I mean, I think they had great goals to do something in the class, but uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised by round ten if, if Hunter's already thinking a little bit more about you know his switch to to California. All right, shall we bring in a, a guy that knows a little bit more about racing dirt bikes than us, Adam? Yeah, uh, <laughs> he probably talk a bit more better than us as well. Yeah, probably. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's bring him in. Let's bring in Rockstar Energy uh, Husqvarna Zach Osborne. Race Tech suspension and engines, people. Pulp MX eighteen is the code to save. 
breaking through the limitations of OEM designs, race tech specializing in high performance suspension, parts, service, and setups, modifying stock suspension components to perform at the highest level. Discover why more top privateers trust race tech, guys like the HEP Suzuki team, and many more in the pits use race tech for their suspension and engines mods. Pulpomex 18, you can save using the code. Please check them out, racetech.com. Do it. Maxxis Tires. From your bike to your truck and almost everything with wheels in between, Maxxis Tires will have you hooking up, pulling the whole shot, and beating your competition. One of the world's most trusted tire brands, Maxxis delivers high-quality tire products that perform no matter what the terrain or conditions. If you don't believe me, just ask the king, Jeremy McGrath. Okay, as promised, here he is, Adam Wheeler, uh, Rockstar Energy Husky. Zach Osborne. Zacho, thank you for doing this. First up, Zacho, Adam Wheeler, a better journalist than myself or not? <laughs> Adam Wheeler is the wordiest man in motocross. He is, he can't isn't take he? It away. He he really hey, is. That, did you say the hang on, did you say the wordiest or the weirdest? <laughs> the wordiest. All <laughs> oh, right, okay, thanks. That's checking not anyway. not even in the top five weirdest. There's plenty weirder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, when I ask you for names there, it could be done with slander on, on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, let's not get into that, especially because I'm on the line, too. So. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, all right, Zacho. So Adam and I discussed the MXGP series and the MX2 series. They're halfway through right now. Um, let's get your take on it. I've, I told Adam, I'm surprised. I mean, look, I knew Hurlings was good, and but I also have the utmost respect for the 222. And I've been very surprised that Hurlings has chopped into these big leads Antonio has had late in motos and passed him for the win. Uh, what's your take on it all, Zacho? It's impressive. Um, I feel like the Argentina win is kind of still lingering because it was a big hit on Tony's confidence and a big boost for Jeffrey. And I feel like that when they get in that situation, which they've been in, I feel like almost every second moto this year mm -hmm. where – you know, there's a decent little gap, and and Jeffrey starts to close it down. It just it breaks quick and and quicker and quicker every time that it happens. Like this weekend um, in Saint Jean, it was like he was, you know, eight seconds down with uh, six laps to go or something, and then he won by eight seconds. It's just it's pretty incredible to see how that swings at the end of the motos. Um, and and Tony is so fit. Like yeah, he's one of the more fit guys out there. I think he likes to play on that that Instagram thing that he's on his boat in Sicily and this and that and the other, but he's, he's a grinder. Like he, he runs, he goes so hard and trains so hard. So I know it has to be frustrating for him to, to be getting beat like that. And, and for, you know, every time it happens, Jeffrey's just building confidence. Yeah. If you had told me I that, think one go, of, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead sorry, yeah. Steve, I think one of the weird things for us to see this year is that, you know, he's kind of making mistakes. I mean, he's, he's kind of been pressured. Maybe like he really hasn't been pressured before. If you look at Madeley Bates yeah. two weeks ago, the British Grand Prix, you know, Zach at the track, you know, pretty well, um, you know, to see him kind of looking behind and then like sort of like hopping out of ruts and, you know, and that's not, not the first sort of race we've, we've seen those kind of jitters, which you don't really would, you wouldn't really expect from him. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like, um, the looking back thing is, is huge to me. Like when, when you see a guy looking back, it's, it's never a good sign. And, um, I feel like he, we've seen that out of him more than ever before in the last couple of races. He's just, he starts to, 
either panic or feel feel some pressure, like you said. It just uh, it seems to kind of build on him, and he can't get away from it. And, and yeah, if you told me Jeffrey Hurlings was going to win this title and beat Antonio, I'd say okay, I hundred percent believe that. But the way he's doing it is surprising for sure. And, he has yeah. eight one ones. Is that right, Adam? Yeah, he's got no, he's got eight wins and seven one ones. Oh, eight round. That's uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what else has caught your eye, Zacho, for MXGP wise? Uh, anything else is? I keep. I asked Adam. I said, "When's the Goche Paulin one-one race coming or two-one race?" <laughs> Man, you know that's that's what surprises me. Like Geyser is, I feel the the next best guy, mm-hmm. but obviously his injury before the season was massive. It's it's impressive that he's come back as good and as soon as he has. Um, I feel like there's a win out there for him. The DeSalle win in in Russia was pretty impressive, but he's so good on that surface that it wasn't that surprising. Um, I feel like the the gap from Jeffrey to Tony is big, but the gap from Tony to the rest is that big as well. So if you take that and kind of consider that Jeffrey's that far ahead of the next guy, and the next guy is that far ahead of the rest of the field. It's pretty incredible to think what Jeffrey's kind of doing, really. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, hey, Adam, uh, let's uh, let's talk Covington a little bit with with Zacho, and uh, I'll I'll throw it to you to ask Zacho about Thomas Covington. Well, I mean, just uh, I mean, obviously, Zach, he's going to be coming over and racing, you know, next next to you, pretty much uh, next year. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt over Thomas's speed. I mean, he's been a little unlucky with some injury. I mean, also inconsistency. Like he could win or be fighting for a win in one motor, and then, you know, uh, not be figuring in the next. I don't know how that's going to translate for him to the US. And there was some kind of rumors that he was he was kind of set to move, and then we was kind of thinking about it again because he still has one more year in MX2. Um, and in the end, he's, he's decided to go back. I mean, more than more than him moving, which I don't think is a big surprise. Uh, I mean, he's done his education over here. What is kind of a little bit not worrying, but I kind of think where's the next kind of U.S. guy who's going to try Grand Prix? I mean, uh, I don't know, Zach. If you could, could you see anyone else almost that was in your shoes? Like, you know, how many years ago it was? Two thousand and nine, or two thousand and eight? You came over ten years ago. I mean, do you think you know, there's going to be some American guys wanting to try MXGP now? It's like twenty rounds and stuff. Well, I think not not like um, off the back of me, but like there's definitely a bigger presence. You know, there's four or five guys there now, whether it's in European or or whatever. Um, that it's just a, it's another avenue of of, uh, of racing and making a living. But you know, on the Thomas thing, I I feel like he's super fast sometimes, and then other times he um, struggles a bit. So if he can get that figured out and kind of get here, get on the right track, and, and um, stay healthy through Supercross, I think he can make a, a big impact because, like you said, his speed's really good, and um, oftentimes he's just superb, and then other times he, he struggles. But that's just part of it. I think that that's a coming-of-age thing. I, I went through the same thing for quite a while. It's just um, it's a learning thing, and it's it's a slow build, I guess you would say. I'm a bit worried just because, look, Zach, you – you had some success in Supercross before you went back over. Before you went over there, uh, Thomas doesn't have anything. Um, he even was on, I believe, on an interview at one time. He said, "Listen, I don't like Supercross. I, I, I'm going to Europe because I'm not a fan at Supercross." So, with with Supercross being so much of the equation in America, 
I'm a bit stressed because his outdoor results, to me, don't speak of a guy that's going to come over here and win at all, where you can overlook the indoor results. Zacho, I feel like, I, I mean, when you went over there, you you know, you had top fives in Supercross, or at least a lot of top tens, and, and it was no problem for you to, to be very good at it on Yamaha Troy or whatever it is. So, I don't know, man. Like, I'm a bit worried for Thomas. I, I mean, yes and no. I think if he gets here, gets comfortable, um, you know, is back home, is re-motivated, I think he can do it um, pretty pretty easily. He's a talented guy. Um, he's old enough to where I feel like the, the Supercross learning curve and the maturity that you need to really kind of know when to, when to say no and when to go mm-hmm. um, can really benefit him. The the thing that I'm most surprised about is that he is, you know, for the last couple of years has been kind of one of those labeled one of those contenders before the season starts, and then he's just going to forgo his last MX2 year, which was was pretty surprising to me. Which, you know, it's it's his life and um, his his thinking, which is, is whatever. But that's the most surprising thing to me about it is that he's coming back and and kind of foregoing his. Mm-hmm. Um, MX2 year because that you know when you when you, you don't ever dream of being world champion as an American as a kid you know you dream of being a Supercross champion but once you get there and you get in that and it you know it, it's all consuming honestly it, it's what you want you don't even care about Supercross anymore you just want to be world champion because that's what everyone there that's around you and and in your program is talking about and striving for and that become kind of becomes your dream if if you will. I think there's um, there's two other factors when it comes to Thomas. I mean, I don't know if he's going to go into the into Alden's program or not. I mean, that could be something pretty big. Um, the other thing is, you know, he might be a bit of a mystery of a supercross. But Zach, I mean, you could probably testify to this as well. You know, the education I think you get from racing Grand Prix tracks, you know, has to be invaluable. Whatever kind of level you're racing at, I mean, you can be in those ruts and that's those stones and the hard pack of St. Jean, and then next week, you know, the Grand Prix moves to deep sand in Italy and also Biano. So, you know, if you're going to be able to set good speed and excel in that that diversity of tracks, then it can only hold you in good stead. Yeah, for sure, and and that's one thing. Like you know, with the maturity, I think that. It brings maturity to your to your riding and to that mindset of when when to go and when to when to hold back and um, that's one thing that I think will really help him in the transition into Supercross and and hopefully staying injury free is just that he you know he's experienced those things and he can kind of bring that experience and um, keep himself healthy and, and safe. Um, something I wanted to uh, bring up uh, was, Zacho, I, I talked to you the other day for a story that's coming out in Racer X, and you really, um, we talked about the 250 class outdoors, and um, so it's been how long since the 23-year rule, age 23-year MX2? Where are we at on this, uh, Adam? 10 years? I think it was, came in 2012. Okay, so we're... 2012 was your last GP, wasn't it, Zach? I think you were... You, the rule wasn't around then when you, you left. I think it came in 13, and I was already too old after 12, I believe. Okay, so, right. so uh, Adam, uh, Zach brought up a good point. Like, I've never been a fan of this rule. It's kind of an artificial inflator. We've seen guys uh, get pushed up a little early, in my opinion, uh, into 450s, and, 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 and there's not teams for them. There's not, there's not rides for some of these guys. Um, so, Zach you brought up a good point. When you go to EMX points, uh, uh, 
Adam, and you go to the, the, the feeder system, which is EMX 250, uh, and, and you check out the, the guys who are uh, doing it well. Uh, Pocock second in the points. Martin Barr is third. Stephen Clark is fourth. These are all guys that are too old for MX2. They got forced out. They didn't have success in MXGP. They're back into the feeder system of European Moto, which is, you know, there's supposed to be the next guys of MX2. It's a real interesting thing that's going on, Adam. Uh, what do you, what, what's yeah. your thoughts on that? Well, that, that rule, um, the 23, you know, age ceiling thing is basically just a conduit. It's a, it's a way to sort of, you know, encourage kids coming up through Europeans to get into MX2 and to guys who are hanging around and winning a lot to be pushed into MXGP. Um, this year, the rookies, you know, Julian Lieber and, um, and Jeremy Sue are both kind of riding good equipment. Sue is on a satellite Yamaha, um, Lieber's on a factory Kawasaki, you know, and those guys have not been humbled. I mean, they're running top 10 and they're, and they're learning about it, but you know, okay, you've got Jonas and Prado pretty much ruling the roost in MX2, but then you have the younger guys coming up. You've got a couple of Spanish, like, you know, um, Laranaga and Fernandez, um, you know, also Ben Watson, another example of, and Jago Gertz as well. He's probably the next big Belgian thing, um, Watson's teammate. I think the Europeans, he's series, really you know, good, the riders the you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's you watch that one. <laughs> um, but I think the the European series is, is is you know it's almost like um, how GPs used to be. I think it's a uh, you know it's, there's there's enough rounds and and the kind of the Euro centric nature of it means it's not too costly. Um, so I think you know it's, it's almost like a, a lot. It's a shame in some respects, but it's almost like uh, okay, guys, where do we race? You know, we want to do it internationally, and that's that's the only option on two fifty. That's exactly right. That's what Steve and I were going going back and forth on yesterday, or not back and forth, but I was trying to explain is, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's just trying to race motorcycles and make a living, and it doesn't matter, uh, yeah, what what series you're racing or what how old you are or whatever. You just want to race and, and do what you love and make a living, and, and yeah, it's fair game if there's no no rule that you're breaking. Yeah, I just I don't agree with the rule. I think it's silly, and it, I think it's – I think it was put in place because – you know, they they took they they took a look around in the MXGP and they saw not enough t- entries and teams and and the depth of the field and they're like, we got to do something about this. And it's a, it's an it's a it's much better to get the kids chasing the you know the dream in the MX2 than it is to actually have the vets. Um, you know, Patcherell, Tixier, a couple of guys that come to mind that just are lost now a little bit. You know, yeah. So. I agree with that. Yeah, but, it, I, I, there's, yeah. but there's no good solution. Like, that doesn't work, and then people don't like the way we do it either. So what do you do? You just stop racing or everybody race one class, or how does that work? Yeah, just stop racing. The, the, <laughs> the, the thinking behind it is just to create this, this premier class, like MXGP. This is the class where all the best guys are, that all the attention's on. I mean, in that respect, it's almost like MotoGP. You know, you, I mean, even in the, in the media centers in MotoGP, you get guys who don't give a shit about, like, Moto2 and Moto3. Yeah. You know, it's all just about that, that main sort of 24 riders on the grid for MotoGP. And that's, that's a little bit like the same philosophy in MXGP. That's yeah. where the stars are. You know, Moto, MX2 is going to be, oh, there's, there's the next, you know, young hotshot who's, you know, who's going to be coming up and troubling the rest. And that, I think that's the yeah, philosophy. Yeah, but what about guys there. like Alex Martin or even myself or, or Jeremy Martin? Or, you know, Alex is like 5'4", Steve, 5'3". I don't know. He's really short, though. We call him troll. So how do you expect yeah. a guy like him to sort of compete or or be on the same level on a bigger bike and with more power and torque and everything as a guy like Eli, who's, you know, six foot tall, like the dynamic athlete? 
you know, what I said was he wouldn't get a, a jockey to to be a power lifter or he wouldn't get a power lifter to be a jockey. There's just certain nicks or niches for people who, yeah, uh, you know, can ride the bike. Yeah, but like I, there's, there's been career 125 guys that you just you can't get around that. Yeah, but Zach, I mean, I agree. I agree a little bit with what you're saying, but then didn't you also win, like, your first, big, like, high-profile race on a 450? I mean, that was, like, at the uh, nation. Oh, I heard all about this already, Adam. Oh, he, don't bring this up. Because he beat Tim Ferry, <laughs> and, I, and I, I don't remember that ever happening, but apparently it did. Hang on. Wait a minute. Was Ferry in that race? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Zach just made that up, I feel like. Uh, nobody all knows. Right. Um, anyways, yeah, no, we can go, we can go round and around on this for a while. Uh, Hey Adam, uh, are you ready? Are you and all of your European buddies, are you guys ready for your destination streak to come to an end this year at Redbud? What's, what's the buzz what about Redbud? Hang on a minute. What do you mean my destination streak? I've been waiting like 20 years for a British podium. <laughs> <laughs> and that's only fucking happened last year. So, you know, yeah. it's, uh, um, I'm ready for the French, the Frenchies to be defeated. I mean, I think they've had their time now. It's yeah. time to move over and let someone else have a go. I'm good with the French losing, for sure. I think that's something we can all agree on. We're, we're good with that. Um, but what's been the buzz, Adam, about the motocross nations coming up in Redbud this year? Have you heard much about it? Not really. I mean, it was. It kind of came up really in discussions among some of the press guys for the first time, you know, in St. John. Uh, you know, you just start to talk about that stuff. I mean, I must get some flight books as well to, to, to get sorted for that track. But, I mean, I think there's a lot of people aware of the fact that it's going to be, you know, the best opportunity for Team USA to, to get back hold of the thing because it actually was at St. John in 2011 when they won their last one. So mm-hmm. that's like a good few years now. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we were talking about the team. I mean, is Anderson going to be fit enough or, you know, is it going to justify enough to, to come back in and, and, you know, ride alongside Eli? I mean, who's going to have the 250 thing? I mean, Zach, I guess you're not going to, you're not going to make it the shoulder. I don't know how, how bad it is or if you're going to be racing in time to be in contention or whatever. I, I don't. I definitely won't be racing in time to be in contention, and I don't really know how realistic it is. It's a massive bummer for me, but yeah. Um, I, I mean, just coming back and all that. I feel like that I wouldn't be the best choice, anyways. And if I'm not the best choice, then I don't. I don't expect to go. So I mean, um, it's just a. It's it's a hard call though. Like, you know, who do you send? Um, <laughs> It's just it's tough, and and, and who knows if, if those guys you know if you pick Eli is he going to go or not? It's just uh, it's a hard thing. I I I'm looking forward. I think Tomac goes. Uh, you know the Kawasaki guys haven't have been vocal about the cost of the event and everything else, but and the timing of the event. But I mean it should yeah. work out this year. I would hope. You have to remember as well. It's only one week before Monster Cup. So yeah. if there's any guys that have to be, you know, doing kind of promotional, obligational duties or turnouts there, then does that affect it? Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing to me that, that is the wrench for Eli. I, I, you know, I've been around Eli a bit, and I know how badly he wants to win Monster Cup. And I think, um, man, that it's I – don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, he wants to – hang on. He wants to win the cup or he wants to win the million? So, yeah. The things that go with the cup, <laughs> <laughs> like like sweeping, <laughs> like sweeping the cup, for example. Yeah, but I mean, maybe he does. I I really don't know. It's just uh, I I feel like yeah, he's he's a very patriotic guy and he's um pretty committed to to America. And I think that 
you know, if there's ever a time, this is probably the time. Uh, Adam, is there a guy, like we got Osborne on the phone, but look, he, he's up on the MXGP series. He watches it and follows it. He he raced the ISDE. He loves off-road. We've talked about that many times. He's a national and supercross champion in, in, in America here. I mean, Zacho, is there is there any moto series that you don't like or you don't follow or you can't do? <laughs> um, as in dirt, no, pretty much I, I follow everything. Um, I don't follow MotoGP that much, but it's pretty cool um, yeah. when I do watch. But as far as uh, dirt bikes go, I pretty much follow everything. Pretty well-rounded, a wheeler guy. I try. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, I think we were talking about it earlier, Steve. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why you're so popular, mate. I mean, I think British fans still remember you well from winning the British Championship. And we said to Steve, that's probably slipped way down on your <laughs> on your list of achievements now. But um, yeah, you know, but, but a... like at the time, I've said this before. Like at the time, that British Championship was almost as big as as my first Supercross Championship. You know, in the scheme of where I was in my career and. Um, the financial aspect of it and everything, it was it was very substantial. So definitely hasn't really slipped down a- anything because I know, um, obviously now with bigger accomplishments, it's it's uh, it's um, I don't know prestige is, is a little bit lower. But in the like I said, in the grand scheme of things, where I was in my career and in my life, it was it was a huge um, huge success for me. Yeah, that's... I have to put you on the spot and uh, ask if you're ever going to do a 450 GP before you retire. Will you attempt an MXGP race or not? Dude, I, I was I, – before my injury, I was kind of razzing everyone up about um, maybe going to Turkey and, and just racing the MX1 <laughs> GP and just, for, just for old time's sake. But uh, obviously can that's I, can not going to happen now. But... Can, yeah, can I tell a story about that race? Because that was 2000 – was that like your first – that was your first GP win, wasn't it? Yeah, that was my first full season. So that was '09. That was the second, uh, second or third GP. I think it went. Um, yeah, um, Italy. This is quite Turkey, a Italy. Yeah, the Turkey. It was in Turkey. I, there was actually a nice moment because um, the late Eric Gabors, you know, who sort of passed away like last month. Um, I remember walking back through the paddock with him, and it was a really strange kind of venue. It, was, it seemed like an airfield. It was like really flat. You know? <laughs> it they, was. They an kind airfield. of created this track. Yeah. And, you know, and I was kind of, I met him walking from this massive long walk from the press room to the paddock where the trucks are parked. And he was like surrounded by what seemed like hundreds of people. And we kind of stopped each other and he said, you know, this was after the first motos. He said, do you think we should tell them that there's still some two more races to go? You know, he was kind of shocked. It was like, oh, the Turkish guys are heading out of the exit. He was like, no, guys, wait, wait. And actually that, that, that GP was really kind of strange because for some reason there was no fences by the side of the track. And I can remember the guys going over this huge tabletop and, and you know, all the fans were standing on the jump. I was thinking, what the hell is going on here? Someone's going to get taken out. This is going to end, you know, we're not going to get out of Turkey. <laughs> uh, it was it was wild. Actually, I was telling someone a story about that the other day. In typical Dixon fashion, I flew from Belgium <laughs> on just some easy jet flight, and uh, I had no plan on the other side. Like I was flying from Brussels to Istanbul, and like once I got to Istanbul, it was just wild west in Turkey. Like that, whatever. No, whatever I don't goes. believe that. I don't <laughs> no, believe you must be exaggerating. <laughs> So I got off the plane and and um, I was. <laughs> Another funny thing is on the way there, I sat down in a middle seat 
the guy beside me um, was T.J. Van Garderen, who was at the time unknown, completely unknown um, in the cycling world. But we talked a little bit because I noticed he had an American passport, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm American too. I was just looking for any sort of normalcy. But, yeah, it ended up literally being T.J. Van Garderen that I sat beside on the plane. He was going to do the tour of Turkey. So, anyways, I get to the, the Istanbul airport, and um, there was only one other motocross person on my plane, which was um, Nikolai Larson, who is a, a Danish GP rider um, that I had known since I was a kid, kind of uh, from the, world, the Junior World Championships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hey, dude. He was kind of on the same program as me. I was like, look, I'm not, I'm not getting in a taxi by myself. But you know, I don't, I don't care. We can either split it or, or I'll pay for it. But just, just ride with me. So we get in a taxi in Istanbul, and I'm like, we need to go here. And the dude knew exactly where it was, which kind of scared me because I felt like it shouldn't be that well known. So I'm like, yeah, we're we're dead for sure. Like he's taking us straight to. Straight yeah. to our death. Yeah. So literally, we, we get in the taxi. He drives us straight to, like Adam said, the airfield. It was like an old airport. We parked on the the old runway um, <laughs> to the airport. Drops us off. We paid him, and it was just like, holy crap, we're we're not dead. Like yeah. we're not kidnapped. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, uh, there, there's that story, and then I was talking to Brittany, your wife, uh, a couple weeks ago, and. She's telling me about how you and your mom were in a tent in Russia at the track, yeah, sleeping in. Also true, right? You're at a, you're underneath a tent at an MXGP uh, in Russia, and now here you are, Osborne, multi-time. Yeah, champion. but the, that, he he had the he had the best deal on that race. I mean, the rest of us who had to like take a shuttle for forty minutes from the hotel. I mean, the springs on that thing. I mean, literally, I had a sore head because the fucking the, the, it was just bouncing up and smashing us everywhere. Somebody's cameras got wrecked because they were in the, the luggage hold and it was just bouncing around so much. If you want, if you want quality roads, do not go to Russia. Um. Adam, you you know me well enough over the years. This is why I'm never covering the MXGPs. I, I I don't I hear these stories of tents and Turkey and Russian buses, and I I just want my Starbucks and my Courtyard Marriott. Like that's it. Like <laughs> yeah, that. you got no chance of a Starbucks there. No, dude. So the background uh, on, you, uh, on the tent thing. Okay, go go ahead. go ahead, Osborne. The background on the tent thing is there were like. This place, it literally took us 12 hours to go 400 kilometers from the airport to the track on on the Thursday before the race. Like, literally 12 hours. Jesus. It wasn't as long on the way there. It was like seven, just because it was Sunday and the traffic was a little less. But we sat in a van for 12 hours to get to the track. We get there, and it's in the middle of nowhere, like, far from anything. The ambulances are from, like, the, war, the Cold War. Like, it was just ridiculous. <laughs> So uh, there was, they had built some, like, little cabin things beside the track, but KTM rented them all out far in advance. I mean, we got there. Dixon didn't have any anything booked. It was just a right. standard deal. Shocker. So Shocking. Mel, Mel was leading the European Championship, and I was coming back from an injury because my bike had blown up and I crashed uh, preseason. So I was like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I can, you know, sleep wherever. Mel slept in the truck because it was kind of our priority that he win the championship or whatever. And, yeah, me and my mom literally slept underneath the awning in a tent on an air mattress <laughs> at, at the GP for the weekend. It was, oh. And it was cold, dude. It was like 45 at night, and this tent was not your, not like your REI ready to go to anywhere tent. It was like 
the Russian Walmart yeah. we went to, and we we're like, okay, we'll take this one. <laughs> hey, uh, and that was yeah, that. but you know, it was it was a Grand Prix like time had forgot. But I always remember from that race how many people there were. There were like thousands were, and thousands like coming yeah. all the time. It was yeah, it was so many people. Hey, uh, hey, oh, e- no. hey, Eli, we're gonna need you to sleep in this tent. Underneath the <laughs> underneath, underneath the truck to awning uh, for for tomorrow's race uh, is that cool? Is is that all right? <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, Steve. Uh, you know, I mean, you, the thing is, like Steve Dixon. I mean, I don't think you'll meet like a guy who's more passionate for motocross. Yeah, and like really is is more passionate for engine development and right. trying ideas. Is that like Zach and I? I mean, asking for some feedback for a story on this over the weekend. I mean, he organizes the British Grand Prix as well, which, you know, yeah. uh, by all accounts, had its most successful ever edition like two weeks ago. Um, but if he ever offers to arrange your travel, then, you know, run away. Just <laughs> run away. Get, a, get an eye. Get, yeah. Get your iPhone. Open your iPhone. Uh, make, do your own thing. Yeah. Well, now he's got the air. Now he's trying to copy a Yamaha with a Kawasaki, from what I understand. So he's not trying. He's done it, and he did it pretty damn successfully so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's uh, full of ideas. So just don't let him do the travel. That's it. Yeah. Um, well, but he he always told me like, um, he always compared it to a cup of tea or coffee. Like when you walk in his house, he doesn't ever offer you tea or coffee, which is very British. Um, ritual mm-hmm. uh, to, to do so but he was like i don't ever do that because it doesn't mean anything to me just like travel i don't care so it doesn't mean anything to me so i can't <laughs> i can't relate i'm like well we're gonna have to fix this yeah but there's the other factor as well where he kind of like likes to get to the gate last you know there's a the little little thrill thing you know he oh, has to be right, there just right. as they're closing the door <laughs> so that's that's another that's not another Bad recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Adam and uh, Zach, thank you for the time on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast presented by Maxis and uh, Alpine Stars. Uh, really appreciate uh, you guys taking the time. Adam, I don't know. You're in Spain. I don't know what time it is there, but uh, I appreciate you. We finally got it done, Adam. We've been trying to get this thing yeah. done forever. So. Yeah, my my fault, Steve. Next time we'll have to do another one. Towards the end of the season, maybe when Herdin's uh, wrap this, wraps this thing up pretty early, we'll have to get another one done. Um, maybe, and, and we'll see you at Redbud, obviously, right? You'll, you'll be there? Yeah, definitely. Definitely in Redbud. Um, that'll be fantastic. Zacho, if you, uh, will you go to Redbud to hang out? Yeah, I wouldn't mind, too. I'm, I might do that. Um, just depends on when I get started with everything. But, yeah, I'd probably go and, and check it out. I think it's going to be pretty electric. Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, Zacho, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, recover well from the uh, from the shoulder surgery. It's too bad that that you ha- you're shot uh, winning or defending the title. Uh, it was looking good, but uh, unfortunately for you, um, yeah, some time on the sidelines now. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me and uh, and reminiscing. Uh, first up, hey, first okay. up, Osborne. First up, wait before we let you go. If 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 you had to choose one of us to write your life story. <laughs> Which journal? No, which, ju- which journalist? Adam, hold on. No more. Think about it for a second before you. Which journalist would you pick? Well, if I'm writing a book that I want to sell, it's Adam. Oh, all right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. But there's a but. There's got to be a but. You know, if it's a, if it's a it's a, an audio book, then I think you're in. Uh, I, oh yeah, audio book, Steve. You got it. <laughs> Fantastic. Good to hear. I'm in the audio book category. All right, guys. Thanks very much for for both for your time, and uh, we'll see both of you down the road. Thank you. Later. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. 
Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, like beating a dead horse, I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. Been no problem. My my ego got in the way, you know. The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could you sit there, you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the 